Hello everyone, it's James and welcome to the Notorious Banker Podcast. 3,250 amazing followers at Bank Better Guy on Twitter, 20,000 plus followers at Notorious Banker on TikTok, and 4,200 followers on Instagram at Notorious Banker. Of course, I am the author of High Risk Transaction, the Ryan Coogler Bank of America incident, now available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle format. Guys, thank you so very much for your love and support. I really do appreciate it. I'm doing this podcast um, in kind of a hurry because I have my two nieces with me um, here in Las Cruces, New Mexico for the weekend, and my wife is actually taking them to go have some fun while I can knock out a 30-minute podcast to talk about um, a new story that, that happened in Houston that I kind of had an interaction with. I didn't do anything to help these folks, although I did amplify it on social media, which may or may not have helped them in a way. But it's a story that I wanted to just record a podcast for, but I have been busy with my young nieces, so I wanted to make sure I made some time to talk about this. So we're going to do a one-segment podcast today, not two like we normally do, um, but I will have a little special second segment at the end of the, the first one just to kind of discuss uh, my plans for the next book that I'm writing, which will be about Bank of America and my experiences therein. Um, some things have changed in my life in the last week, which are pretty unfortunate, I will say. Not for me, for them. <laughs> and um, it's actually kind of done a 180 as to what I really need to talk about in my upcoming book. So I really want to get to that. I'm not going to tell you specifics because there's something I need to run by someone I trust. And it's going to be you know a media member or someone that I know that I could talk to just kind of off the record and ask them, hey, is there something here? Because I really do believe what I have is something, and I really think it's significant. I think it'll be for the betterment of the Notorious Banker for customers nationwide. I'll just put it at that. Um, but like I said, it's been a it's been a crazy week. I had my nieces with me. I've had them with me for four days. And sometimes you get distracted. I understand what it's like to be a parent. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, you have to give them activities. You have to interact with them. And sometimes it's hard to knock out an hour and a half podcast like, like I normally do because I like to ramble and ramble. That's just who I am. But, you know, this story that I'm going to be talking about in the first segment is in regards to an Afghan refugee family. And now look, okay, there, there are some people in this world who say, why are we helping other people? The Notorious Banker does not subscribe to that theory. I help everyone, okay? It's, it's important to me. When you work at a place like Bank of America and you see how little people get helped, and I'm, not, I'm talking about from all walks of life, and you know that you have the power to help people, it really messes with your mind. So, you know, whenever I left Bank of America, my, my duty to myself and I think the gift that I have was the ability to listen. I am a very good listener. I'm a very good talker, as you could tell by me having a podcast. But also, I know how to get things done. And I know how to work hard to make sure that an achieved result is had by someone who needs the help, who needs help, who needs assistance, and frankly... They need they need a helping hand, and the notorious banker is always here for that. Um, a lot of the times with my vigilante customer service, or I call it customer service strategy now, I show people how to be better customers. I show people that, that yes, you know, you can complain, but complain the right way. You know, I think a lot of the times people don't understand that on the other side there are actually human beings too, and um, there are some people who legitimately want to help you, and there's some people who who have the capability of doing so. But you got to harness a relationship in order to get things done. Now, in the case of this um, family of Afghan refugees in the Houston, Texas area, um, they didn't have that helping hand with Bank of America. They had that helping hand with people from, I, I believe, Catholic Charities. I'll get to the news story in a second. I actually interacted with a gentleman who was interviewed in the news story. And I really want to discuss um, just a scenario of what's going on here because... Um, I mentioned it in a tweet. Um, Bank of America got caught with their pants down again. They they do this all the time to people, particularly to NRAs. NRAs are non-resident aliens. I know NRA means something totally different in Texas, but NRAs to me mean non-resident aliens. Um, what happens whenever a mistake happens, um, whenever you do a deposit for someone is frankly... Um, the bank has to fix the mistake. Typically, the branch that made the mistake has to fix the mistake, and it counts against them. And what I mean by counts against them is there's these metrics that that you are judged by when you work at the bank, and a lot of it goes towards your bonus. 
So if you do 100% of sales, and let's say you're 80% in compliance, meaning you refunded fees whenever the bank said specifically not to refund fees, when you refund too many fees, when you have too many mistakes as a teller, when you have too many paperwork mistakes as a banker, those count against you. And what happens is if the bank is performing and the bank hits all their goals, their sales goals, you lose money based on how crappy your performance is with the tellers, with the sellers, with the bankers, and with the managers. It is a consummate team effort, although it is not fair. There are many times I lost thousands of dollars in bonus money um, as a banker, as a person who had nothing to do with the tellers, as a salesperson, because of what the tellers did wrong. And I wasn't a teller. I had no interaction with them, but their mistake cost me money. And that's basically the way the Bank of America gets away with screwing you know, people out of millions of dollars of bonus money. So whenever you have someone who makes a mistake at a branch, and it doesn't matter if the people are Afghan refugees or just normal American citizens. Um, when that mistake is made, um, managers don't really want to fix it. And I'll get to why in the next segment. Um, because they're acknowledging that they made a mistake and that it can actually come back to bite them at the end of the day. But what happened is an Afghan refugee family who um, left um, during the fall of Afghanistan with the Taliban's rise to power last year. We all saw the video of people holding onto the plane falling to their death because they didn't want to be in Afghanistan anymore. Well, these people made it to America, and then when they made it to America, they were met by oppression in another way. A big bank basically saying, um, yeah, we're not going to fix your problem. Oh, you need food? You need money for housing? Oh, yeah, well, we'll do it on our timetable. When, in fact, everyone knew, including Bank of America, that a mistake was made. So after this brief promotional consideration, I'm going to talk about this amazing Afghan refugee family from Houston, the efforts for the people who were helping them to get them the help that they need, which ended up putting them on TV in Houston, Texas. And um, the end result, which, funny enough, is not uh, the desired result that I would like for this family. Okay, And I'll get to that in a second, because what the, the quote was by the Bank of America spokesperson was literally the most ridiculous quote for someone who made an error that I've seen from a big bank in a long time. So I'll get to that in just a second. So please, my friends, stick around. Hey everyone, it's James, Notorious Banker, inviting you to join me on TikTok. That's at Notorious Banker on TikTok, where nearly 16,000 people have followed me so far. Now, I've got to be honest with you, as a nearly 39-year-old person, I'm still trying to figure out TikTok, learning all the different filters, learning how to edit, learning how to be funny and informative in a short amount of time, and thankfully, I have family members to help me with that. Uh, but one of the things I do on TikTok is the same thing that I do on Twitter. I talk about big banks. I talk about how to avoid the perils of bad customer service at big banks, all the while telling you stories about my nearly 15 years in the banking industry and also giving you little fun facts and information about the banking industry as a whole. It's something, in my personal opinion, that is unique to TikTok. You know, it's not just about dance moves and pretty girls. Uh, we're talking about banks and we're having an interesting discussion with younger folks about their perspective on big banks. So I implore you to go to at Notorious Banker on TikTok and join the nearly 16,000 people who have already seen what the Notorious Banker is capable of on social media. All right, everyone, I'm back with more Notorious Banker. So um, one of the things that I am an expert on, and, you know, yes, you know, toot my own horn, blah, blah, blah. I am a I am a person who loves to talk about myself because bankers do that. They're narcissistic personalities. But one of the things I was really good at for the longest time uh, when I worked at Bank of America was helping NRAs, or RAs for that matter, resident aliens and non-resident aliens, people from other countries. Um, I've told you all my origin story. In 2005, I started working for Bank of America in a little town, my hometown, Socorro, New Mexico, population 7,000. Total small town America, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a town that, aside from the heroin addiction that is ravaging that city, it's okay. It's a great town to live in, uh, mainly because it's a college town. New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology, also known as New Mexico Tech, is one of the best schools in the country. Tons of engineers. Everyone who graduates there seemingly makes six figures. They make a lot of money. I follow them on social media with their convertible sports cars and their awesome families living in oil-rich Texas, living in Oklahoma, living in, in other parts of the world um, because they were successful in their college education in my hometown of Socorro, New Mexico. 
So the reason why I talk about that is because when I worked at Bank of America, I became immersed. I hate using the word immersive and immersed, but I became immersed in international culture. I met so many amazing people from Turkey, so many amazing people from Iran, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, China, Russia. We had some awesome uh, Mexican college students there, some from Canada. Uh, there was a couple of Aussies there. They were really, really great people, and they were just fun to talk to. And as you grow up, I was in my early 20s when I started working at Bank of America, all the way to my mid-30s when I left Bank of America. One of my favorite things is to see the new batch of fresh faces going into a town, because I worked in two college towns, and seeing what their dreams are, seeing what they wanted to do, seeing them you know, do the adult things of getting a checking account and getting their, their dorm room ready, and then asking me um, to apply for a credit card because they need to buy stuff for that dorm room. It was really cool. I really love the interaction with that. Um, the international students were much more interesting, I'll be frank with you, just because they have so many more stories. They have so many more questions about the American experience and the American dream. It's it's something that I, I liked. I, you know, working for Bank of America, I actually felt like I was kind of representing America by having that first in-depth conversation, not about school, not not about, you know, all the stuff that they're leaving behind. No, we're just talking about life and talking about money and talking about, you know, having a good time. And that's what banking is supposed to be. Banking is supposed to be, what are your dreams? What are your aspirations? What are the things that scare you? What are the things that you want to financially save up for? I took that stuff seriously, man. So when I was there in Socorro for three years, I had a lot of amazing international student customers. And then I had them in Las Cruces. I was a teller for the most part over there. So I didn't get to do some long-term conversations the first couple of years. But when I became a sales manager, every August, July, August, and every December, January, I'd help hundreds of new students from all walks of life. And they would have their two IDs, um, typically a foreign passport and a residence card, um, their I-22s, their international paperwork for school. They have all these things. And I was familiar with it. I became an expert because I helped so many people. I knew what to look for. So, you know, having a like a Saudi consulate card, or I actually knew what some of the driver's licenses looked like in Saudi and Kuwait. I, I'm familiar with all the documentation and IDs, what was acceptable by Bank of America standards and what wasn't acceptable by Bank of America standards. I loved all that stuff. I lived all that stuff because I wanted to be the smart guy who knew all that stuff. Because frankly, you know what happens when you get some people from, let's just say Kuwait, and um, typically they all go into open accounts together. So it'd be a group of four friends. And then whenever the Kuwaitis come in the next semester, those Kuwaiti people say, yeah, go to that Bank of America, that James guy knows what he's talking about. And I'd have four new accounts. I was the international banker in a border town in Las Cruces, New Mexico at Bank of America. Proud of that. So um, I didn't become an expert without making mistakes. I will say it that way. I made my share of mistakes. Oh, my goodness. And the paperwork mistakes when you help an international customer are like three times harder because um, unfortunately with the Patriot Act and you know 9-11 and stuff like that, I say unfortunately, but um, what I mean is it's it's become a process for someone who lives in another country or who lived in another country to open up a bank account here in America without additional scrutiny. When you're a non-resident alien, you have to have specific IDs. It's not like, hey, bring your car registration in to verify your address. No, it's much more deeper than that for international customers. So cut to Houston, Texas, one of the biggest cities in the country. ABC 13 Eyewitness News, I'll link to in the show notes, did a story, and the story was families check put into wrong account and mix up at Bank of America. Quote, the money just disappeared. Shelly Childers, the reporter for ABC 13, did the story. Now we've done a couple of Houston area Bank of America stories in the past. Uh, we did the story about the Houston area banker arrested for stealing naked photos of his customers by under the auspices of setting up their online banking. And that was just a horrible story, a horrible offense. And um, that guy hasn't gone to trial yet, but we hope he goes to prison. And my very first podcast was a Houston area story where a Houston area Bank of America ATM was under scrutiny because the $10 bill dispenser in the ATM was giving out $100 bills. And during Christmas 2018, 
dozens of people took hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash from a Bank of America ATM. And Bank of America um, facing scrutiny over this embarrassing national news story where they would normally just reverse the transactions of the customers in order to get their money back, essentially, decided to gift that money to all these people. Because I will be frank with you, they did not want to take hundreds of thousands of dollars from an African-American neighborhood during Christmas season 2018. That's just who they are, man. That's just that's just the way Bank of America is. Bank of America would have done that and screwed over a lot of people's holiday seasons if that had not been on the news. And it was on ABC 13 Eyewitness News in Houston. So I'm going to read this verbatim. I'll link to it in the show notes here. Um, you really should watch the news story that's attached to the link that I'm going to send you because it's going to have everything that I talk about here. It says, Bank of America is apologizing to a refugee family after mistakenly depositing their money into the wrong account. The Karakhan family and their four children, four, six, eight, and ten, fled Afghanistan after falling to the Taliban last summer. They resided in a New Jersey refugee camp for months before settling in Houston. This podcast is going to be one that is is pro-immigrant, okay? You know, we all came from somewhere for the most part. And, you know, the political nature of this conversation is sad. You know, if you believe in God, we are all God's children, okay? And, and, and the fact of the matter is this, okay? So you have people who escape horrible oppression to go live in a refugee camp where arguably some of the conditions are not as good as you think that they would be. Be like, oh, they're living the American dream. They're living off our tax dollars, this and that, or whatever. Um, no, those places are hard, okay? I live close to the Mexican border, and the people who are just chilling out across the Mexican border just waiting to come in legally or otherwise... They're not living the good life, man. They have it hard. And people who try to make it to this country, whether through legitimate means or not, go through a hell of a lot more turmoil than we ever can imagine. So um, they already lived a heck of an existence in New Jersey refugee camp, and then they finally settled in Houston. Five months here. This is five months, said the family's father, Caradine Caracon. About a month later, they received a check from the IRS, which Caradine attempted to cash at a local Bank of America. And then this is what David Godwin says. And I had the pleasure of talking to Mr. Godwin on Twitter. I appreciated his interaction. Um, Normally when I find people on social media, I honestly, um, I'm genuinely just trying to just understand what's going on to see if I can help or to give people um, kind of guidance on what to say, what to do. And understandably so, he's not going to tell me the whole story because it's, it's not necessarily my business, but... The fact that he made it onto the news with this family was important to make it the community's business to make sure that these folks get help. So this is what Mr. Godwin said. He said, quote, he went in there to cash it. They would not cash it and told him he had to open an account. He opened the account. They told him he had to wait so many days and then the money just disappeared, said David Godwin. He's a resettlement advocate with Catholic Charities. Um... I've dealt with a lot of folks from Catholic Charities in the past. Um, I actually got a letter of commendation from the um, the person who runs El Paso's, the Archbishop's sites, I think his name is, a few years back because I helped some Guatemalan immigrants open up some accounts when I was at Bank of America and the other Bank of America turned them away, mainly because they didn't know what they were talking about. But I was able to get them and I got a letter of commendation. It's a letter I still hold to this day. Because I was I was a cog in making these people's lives better. So there was a couple of things that Mr. Godwin said that um, really inflamed me in the quote in the news story. And he didn't inflame me. Bank of America inflamed me. Um, I'm doing I'm trying to do a really good job to not swear in this podcast because honestly, of the the faith based nature of the the community who's trying to help um, these refugees, I, I I can be very vitriolic and very upset whenever something like this happens. So I'm going to try to not use bad language during the rest of this podcast here. But boy, I got to tell you, I'm so upset about this, okay? So they said he went in there to cash it. They would not cash it, and he had to open an account. So I didn't see the check. I have not seen the check. It says it's a check from the IRS. If it's a check from the IRS, it looks like all government checks. It has the United States of America, the yellowish green hue on the check. The routing number typically has six zeros to start. It's like zero 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 one two three, and that's typically a government check. the The machine reads it as a government check. It is not a check that is can be faked that easily. 
So when they said that he can't cash and he had to open an account, there's a bit of fibbing going on there by Bank of America. If it's for a large amount, yes, they probably just don't want to just cash it. And I've told you for various reasons why Bank of America refuses to cash checks in a lot of locations now. And it's it's silly reasons, you know, because they don't have enough money, because corporate doesn't send them enough money, and because they want to drive sales. So they told this gentleman that he had to open an account. So he opened the account. So here's the thing that I'm kind of confused by. Because of the sensitive nature of um, where, where the gentleman came from, and, and, and typically most refugees carry their IDs with them at all times. So I'm, maybe he did have his paperwork ready. But you need to have that exact ID. Otherwise, you cannot open the account. Like, there's phone calls that Bank of America has to make. Um, this weird phone number. Um, they You call and you say, yeah, this gentleman's from Iran or this gentleman's from Afghanistan. Well, do they have this ID? What does it say on there? Can you make a copy of the ID? Can you fax it to us? We're going to review it before you can open the account. It's not a just open an account in five minutes and then we can cash your check. It, it's it's beyond that. Phone calls had to be made. Faxes had to be done. Permissions had to be made by Bank of America's risk management team for a banker to do that. You can't do that on your own free will. So um, I can see why the bank would want to open the account to deposit it because there's probably not a method to document those international IDs on the check cashing side of Bank of America, but there's ways of documenting those Afghan IDs on the account opening side. And there's there's weird, you know, loopholes like that all over banking, and it causes a lot of inconvenience to the bank and for the customer, frankly. So they deposited the check, told him he had to wait so many days, and then the money disappeared. So um, government checks are not as good as cash. Cash is as good as cash. Checks are checks. Checks have to go back to the source. So when you deposit a paper check in a branch, what happens is it gets routed back via scan to the, the routing institution, in this case, the federal government. So any check under $5,000 is next day with government checks. If you code it in right, if you're a teller, if you put the right routing number and code that it's a U.S. Treasury item, it'll be in there the next day. So on April 1st, they deposited the check. It should have been there April 2nd. There were some issues with what the teller did, and I'll get to that in a second here, but um, a hold was placed on the check for for the whole amount. And that's fine. I understand that part of it. The check was for $8,400. It was more than $5,000. So yes, definitely a hold was going to be placed on the difference between $8,400 and $5,000, so $3,400. And it would be five days usually. It's not the worst thing in the world, but I'm just saying that I understand that procedurally with Bank of America. So the hold receipt was there. They understood. You know, it takes time. You know, a lot of times people are not happy with that. But if you explain it to customers, um, a lot of times they'll understand. This, this is going to be my role play without even thinking about it for two seconds. Um, sir, with these government checks, uh, there's there's a policy, and I already hate using the word policy, by the way. There's a policy the Bank of America has that um, we allow the first $5,000 to be readily available to you. Um, but because anything over 5000 requires an additional hold, the remaining amount of money will be available on this date. This allows time for the check to actually go back to the maker so they can reconcile it. That way you have your money without any issues. That way they have the peace of mind knowing that you cashed the check without any issues. Speak to people like adults, man, and they'll understand. They will understand. So Bank of America told ABC13 that the check was deposited into another customer's account accidentally in a different state with a similar name and account details. So the check was for food, transportation, and bills. So a teller deposited into a customer's account accidentally in a different state, similar name and account details. So I immediately go back to my teller days and the times that I would make mistakes. I always tell this story. My name is James Baca, okay? I never met another person named James Baca, although there was a mayor of Albuquerque, New Mexico named that. Um, I have an uncle. He died before I was born. That's who I was named after, so I've never met him, of course. I never met another person with my name until I moved to Las Cruces, New Mexico, and I now know six people who are named James Baca. Not no child of mine or anything, but just six other random James Bacas, and it's so weird. Be that as in me, Karodin Karakan can be John Smith in Afghanistan for all I know. 
what I learned at Bank of America is when you have 67 million customers, you have 7.5 billion people on this earth, you're going to get some duplicate names, even with the, the more unique names in this world. So what the teller did was the teller searched by name. Yes, they didn't have an account number, but here's the thing. They opened an account at the branch. They didn't need to enter in the account number wrong, okay? They didn't need to open to enter the account number in wrong. They could have scanned the deposit slip, and yes, there was a deposit slip. When you open an account, they give you a counter check, a counter deposit slip. The teller scans that. It automatically reads the number, so no mistakes can be made. There is absolutely no way that a mistake can be made with that. I, I, I promise you this. If they use the conventional method of opening the account, there's a counter deposit slip. You don't have to type the person's name in. You hit a button. It's, it's called F9. You hit F9. The little thing goes to the scan. It reads the number. Let's just pretend the account number is 123456. It'll accept it. It says that's the account number. And then you hit Alt-S. It brings up Mr. Carodine's name there. That's it. You, don't, you can't mess that up. And the account numbers don't go like 1234 and then 1235 and then 1236. They skip the numbers. They're sequential, um, not too close to each other, so you couldn't just miss the number by one. If you miss the number by one, there's not going to be someone with that account number. So whoever made the deposit on the teller side, search for this person by name, not by hitting F9 and letting the computer do the work for them, which caused the issue. Is it is it um, an acceptable way to look for someone by name? It's a gray area. If you feel comfortable and they can verify date of birth and like the physical address and stuff like that, I used to do it. I was a lot more comfortable in my procedures than probably this teller was. Um, but the simple fact that you actually would search the name Carodine Caracon, um, holy cow, man! Like I don't under, I really do not understand why you would search that name, especially if the account was opened the same day in the branch. There was no need to. Even the banker who opened the account, who got sales credit for that account, they could have made a counter deposit slip and wrote in the number themselves. That was on the bank. That was not on the customer. Mr. Caracon had absolutely nothing to do with this. That was a banker mess up for not either filling out a slip or not giving them a counter deposit slip. That was the teller's mistake for entering in the name instead of letting the computer scan the document and fill in that number by themselves. There was four errors done by both banker and teller um, in that case, and none done by the customer. The customer got a receipt and walked out thinking everything was going to be A-OK. -okay. So Bank of America um, put out a statement. I'm going to do my bank voice here. Um, and it, 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 really, it, it really bugs me. Because I'm going to tell you um, exactly why this is not helpful at all. So here goes. <clears throat> we apologize to Mr. Caracon for any inconvenience. This has been a complex issue, and we have been in touch with Mr. Caracon throughout the process, which we have worked hard to resolve. Yeah, I'm sure you have, right? Uh, Mr. Caracon and his wife are scheduled to meet with us tomorrow morning, at which point we'll ensure the funds are deposited into their account. So you're going to meet with them tomorrow morning and then ensure the funds are deposited into their account. So, meaning you're not going to do it until you meet them. I'm going to put my microphone down because I don't want to scream into the mic. But I want to say this. You're lying, Bank of America. You are lying. You're lying. You are lying. They're lying. They are absolutely lying here. Okay, so here's why they are not telling the truth. This has been a complex issue. It has not. The banker could have filled out the deposit slip with his own handwriting. Or if he had account kits. Account kits are what they give you when you're a bank or a Bank of America. They have a pre-filled number. You don't have to write anything on those deposit slips. It has the number already built into the slip. The computer reads it. All you got to do is type in the amount of the deposit and you give a person a receipt. It's literally idiot proof. It is idiot proof. Being a teller is the easiest job when it comes to doing simple transactions like that. It's a hard job in other ways, but the paperwork part of it, there's no paperwork. It has not been a complex issue. It's been a complex issue for a couple of reasons, and I'll get to that right now. It's been a complex issue for uh, Bank of America because 
they don't want to own up to the fact that they made an error. They made it seem like there was something going on behind the scenes with the check, something going on behind the scenes with um, something that wasn't in control of the branch, which it totally was. Whenever your branch makes an error, whenever your branch makes an error, you have the ability to fix it. Yeah, you have to probably call your boss, call the supervisor and say, hey, I need to remove this hold. I need to refund this fee because I made a mistake. And that's all hunky-dory. That's all well and good whenever you own up to a mistake. I used to own up to my mistakes all the time. And usually you have a very hard conversation with your boss saying, well, what are we going to do to make sure that this doesn't happen next time? I promise you I'm going to make sure that I let the machine do the work. I'm not going to enter in the person's name or the number. I'm going to fill I'm going to I'm going to fill nothing out. I'm just going to let everything that we have set up here do the work for me. Okay, fine. You refund that fee. 3 months later whenever it's time to pay out bonuses, they're going to say, "Well, James you got 110% in new accounts, 150% in revenue." But you made that error with um, those Afghan refugees that caused us um, a lot of issues. They were on the news because of that. And you also forgot to put 2022 on the date on this document. And the auditors came in and we had a finding. So we had to ding you on that. So your quarterly payout was $2,100. But because of the defects, and that's what they call it when you mess up defects, on your paperwork, you're only getting $850. I've made $1,000 mistakes by messing up paperwork, okay? And um, you know what you know what you do? Whenever you get a boss, a manager that understands that, hey, we're going to lose money if we don't get this paperwork fixed. The last manager I had was really good in making sure that we double-checked each other's work. Whenever we made mistakes, we called the customer. We let them know we need to get this done as soon as possible, so on and so forth. There's been a million times I made mistakes that we fixed them the same day, okay? So um, the complex issue of all this stuff going on is more of who doesn't want to take the fall. The managers don't want to take the fall for something that they didn't do. The banker doesn't want to take the fall because it impacts their bonus money. The teller? Well, here's the other wrinkle to the story I found out from these fine folks on Twitter. The teller doesn't work there anymore. And that's actually the complex issue. The complex issue isn't the, the deposit slip. The complex issue is the teller leaving the company. So if the teller leaves the company, there's a lot of things that go on, okay? The teller has a bank ID. I, I call it an NBK because I'm old school Bank of America. But they also have ZK IDs now. So my NBK number was NBK5GRW. It's not personal information. You can do whatever you want with it. Um, you can't hack into my stuff with it, but that was my bank ID number, okay? So what happens when you leave the company, they delete your cash box. So if you're teller number one, they delete your cash box from the system. You don't exist anymore. It's like Men in Black. You ever seen the movie Men in Black where Will Smith becomes a man in black and he puts his fingertips in that little machine and it burns his fingerprints off? He wears the same suit, they delete his social security card, and instead of James, whatever his name is, he just becomes Jay. Okay, so basically, when you delete your cash box at Bank of America, when you quit or get fired as a teller, you're, you're wiped from existence. You cannot be found again. And funny enough, your transactions cannot be found again. So there's something on the Merlin Teller system, which tellers use called the EJ, the Electronic Journal. Basically, it's a log of everything you do on your computer. It's a cheat. It's a tattler. If you go, if you check the time 100 times, it's going to show on your EJ. Man, this guy just checks the time all the time. He should be working. He should be doing something. It documents every keystroke that you make, every transaction, every move that you make. But when you leave the company, now let's say the April 1st deposit for Mr. Carodine here um, was there, you can't reverse it and then redo it. When that person quits, that person's gone forever, you actually cannot see the history of how that transaction went down. You can see it like in a broader view that it happened, but you can't fix what's there because the person that, that caused it is not there in order to fix it. It's confusing as hell, I know. I almost said the S word there, I apologize. Um, it's confusing as hell, but when you're gone from the company, they wipe off your existence off the face of the earth, and that's been the issue there, and they don't want to admit that, okay? So they've been in touch with him and they worked hard to resolve it. Okay, that's fine. That last sentence, oh my goodness, ticked me off. Mr. Karakon and his wife are scheduled to meet with us tomorrow morning, at which point we'll ensure the funds are deposited into their account. 
So if we know that there's an error happening, why do you need them physically there in order to release the hold? They have absolutely nothing to give you in order for you to be able to release the hold. And this is where I call the racism card on here. I don't play this racism card um, very often. Um, yes, we've talked about George Floyd. We've talked about all the things that happened during COVID, okay? It's part of why my podcast became popular. But the fact that they want to meet with them tomorrow morning tells me they want to do enhanced identification, which means they're going to ask them for both IDs. They're going to send those documents over to Bank of America's risk management department. They're basically going to scare them into not wanting to bank there. Um, why do I say that? Because I was told to do it. I had Iranian customers. And Iranian because I've told a story about the Iranian couple with a kid that were starving. Bank of America put a freeze on their account because they're Iranian, even though they had documented IDs and proof of education that they were supposed to be at my college here in town. Bank of America froze their account and refused to reopen it. And the man begged me for money. I gave him $50 out of my own pocket. I didn't have much money. Just because I worked at the bank doesn't mean I was rich. I felt so bad for what Bank of America did to those people. I gave him $50 on my pocket. I said, go buy your kids some food. Buy yourself some food. I'm going to fix this for you. I ended up fixing it. I didn't get the $50 back from the man, but that's fine, okay? If that was my penance to pay in order to help another family in need, I, I did it. And I, I gave probably $1,000 out of my own pocket to people over the years because I cared about them. I really, I legitimately did. So the fact that they're meeting with them tomorrow morning... For what? What What are you literally going to do there? Having them sit there. You're going to be allowed to click the button then. You can click the button just as easy without them there. And call them and say, hey, it's fixed. Happy spending. No, they're trying to basically spook them. They're trying to make sure that they don't want to bank there ever again. They're, I guarantee you they asked for two forms of ID from them. I guarantee you they made copies of them. I guarantee you they faxed them to whatever that weird department is at Bank of America that determines which brown people get to have bank accounts there. I'm not making this up, man. This this all happened to me, so I know what's happening to them. It's frustrating. This is a family with four kids and a fifth child on the way. And I, I don't know how else to say it, that um, Bank of America has done a horrible disservice to these people. Um, I'm talking to you on the six-year anniversary of me being homeless because of Bank of America. I was a homeless bank manager. I was trying to buy a house. Bank of America did this complicated issue thing with me too. And I lost my home loan temporarily and I didn't have a place to live. All while working at Bank of America. Bank of America fixed my issue after I threatened to go to the media. After I threatened to quit. After I threatened to call every single person out. And I got my house. These people apparently got their money. But they had to meet in person for what? I have no clue. And it's... It's maddening to me. You're making these people jump through hoops that you created, Bank of America. Okay, so if the person deposited into the wrong name, well, you got to ask yourself, why did they do that? Why were they searching Merlin Teller by name? Why didn't they use the documents that were in front of them, including the big gigantic folder that the customers got whenever they opened the account? Because there's documents, there's um, account summaries, there's, um, you know... There's tons of documents that have full account numbers on there. Um, schedule of fees, clarity statement, privacy notice. All that stuff will have the account number on there. There was no reason for it to go into the wrong name unless a teller did something that... Honestly, I, I don't understand how they could do it. Even if you helped a customer before and it went to that person's account, um, that error would have been caught in two seconds. But Bank of America stated... That it was someone with a similar name and account details. Well, what does that mean, account details, that they had a checking account? Well, yeah, so do 67 million other people. That they had a similar name. So, did they have the exact name or did they have a similar name? Because a similar name to me means like James and then James spelled A-Y-M-E-S. Those are similar names. James and James are not the same. Is Carodine and then they spelled it a different way. Is that an honest mistake that you should make? No. And I know what you're saying. Why doesn't it have their Houston area address on that screen where they accidentally deposit into the wrong name? 
Well, Bank of America policy states when you're a non-resident alien in NRA, uh, we have to document. I say we like I still work there. I don't work there. Bank of America has to document the last physical address that you had in another country. So you put the physical address of another country, and then you put the U.S. physical and mailing address on the second line. When you're a teller, you only see the international address. And um, I don't mean to sound rude here. I don't, I don't mean this in any bad way. They don't necessarily have addresses like we know them in America and Afghanistan. They don't have addresses as we know them in Saudi Arabia. They don't have addresses as we know them in Kuwait. This is I'm just like literally just pulling this out of nowhere. But let's just say I help someone from Kuwait. It would say that, um, you know, Mr. Al Ibrahim, he lived at Lot 100, House 32, Treeside Road, Kuwait City, Kuwait. Like there's no like 123 Main Street or 1107 Santa Fe Lane. That was my childhood um, home. Um, there was nothing like that. It's literally like, yeah, Lot 42, Space 36, House 14, um, Oak Tree on the left. Like, that's what the that's what the address would say. That's what they would give me, and I had no way of verifying that. Most Bank of America associates, there's no, you can't go to Google Maps. It's like Lot 100, whatever. No, it doesn't exist because the conventional way of doing addresses in other countries does not exist. So the teller who is not an experienced manager, who is not an experienced banker, it's just guessing. And maybe there was two people with Carodine's exact name. And there's like eeny, meeny, miny, mo, And then they picked Mo, and Mo was wrong. Look, I, I can go on and on about this. I'm going to link to it in the show notes, but I want you to watch the story. Um, it's it's eye-opening, okay? And I talked for 33 minutes on it. I think that's pretty, um, it's pretty telling that I'm upset about this. They did a disservice to these people in a way that I cannot imagine. And I'm, I am so furious about it. Even though they allegedly got their money, and I haven't checked back with Mr. Godwin um, since I saw this story. But holy cow, if they didn't get their money, I would be raising heck. Because this is wrong, guys. This is wrong. This is unethical to the extreme. A teller made a mistake. A banker made a mistake. A teller quit. The bank says it's a complex issue. No, it's a complex issue for you. So there's two people I want to shout out, David Godwin, um, the representative for the refugees, who I talked to a couple of times on social media, and a person by the name of Mama J on Twitter, shout out to her. Um, she's now a follower of mine, so thank you so much for following the Notorious Banker. Um, she's the person that I first saw tweeting about this a few days ago, and um, when I saw that, I'm just like, holy cow. I'm like, I... I I saw the tweet, and I already knew what happened before the story. I didn't know the the specific details to where I can break it down. Mama J put, Bank of America in Houston, Texas has illegally taken $8,000 from a refugee family, and manager refuses to resolve the problem. Manager refusing to resolve the problem means he or she was protecting their bonus by not, quote, fixing that error, period, end of story. There is a legitimate deposit slip verifying verifying the deposit of the check. Bank of America deposited it in someone else's account and now wants the case closed. Of course, Bank of America wants you to go away. I can't tell you how many people probably have lost millions of dollars by Bank of America just trying to ignore the problem instead of actually trying to fix it. They made the mistake and they didn't want to fix it and the manager refused to resolve the problem. Look, I'll be frank with you, okay? The manager, even if he wanted to resolve the problem, really couldn't without a lot of help from people on the phone. So, you know, to say that, hey, I'm not going to be able to do it, is not saying I'm empowering myself to say no to you. Managers know that that's going to be like two or three hours worth of phone calls. So refusing to resolve the problem is basically saying, hey, you know what? I want to focus on my sales so I can help you. So I'm going to let these fools that are in the call centers try to help you. But in reality, those call center people do not help. That manager was trying to protect themselves. And that's not right. They could they could have put their name to this problem and say, my name is James. I didn't do this error, but we need to fix it, guys. I'm going to send it to my boss. And my boss, you've got to send it to someone else. We need to get these people their money. It's going to look bad if we don't get them their money. But this guy just went, yeah, no. You know why? Because in a city like Houston, 
where there is, what, 4 million people? I don't even know how many people are in Houston. The one thing that I always noticed about how bad customer service is in big city banks is they just think that, hey, you know, if I treat this person like you know what, yeah, they're never going to come back. Well, there's 4 million other people to open accounts here. Leave it to small town James who lived in cities of 100,000 people and 7,000 people that if you lose a customer that way, um, you may not get another new one back. And there were times where I didn't think another new customer was going to walk through the door. So you got to treat the ones that you have right now better in order to make sure, to ensure that you're doing a good thing and that you're doing the right thing and that you're not just focusing on sales all the time. And this person didn't do that. So Mama J, Mr. Godwin, thank you so much for you know amplifying their issue on Twitter. Um, I didn't do anything in my notorious banker powers the way that I normally do to help these people get their money. I could have easily done so if my help would have been needed. But of course, um, them interacting with the media was all the help that they need. Because as you've heard a million times in this podcast, whenever Bank of America is hurting someone and the media gets wind of it, they're like, oh, heavens, it was just a mistake. We're going to fix that right now. Yeah. Tell that to the millions of people and the billions of dollars that you've stolen from people, Bank of America. It's wrong. It's wrong. And this thing is is just unethically the worst thing that I've seen in a long time. It doesn't matter what you think about people immigrating to this country. It doesn't matter if their belief system is different than yours. It doesn't matter that I personally don't want refugees here. It doesn't matter because you know why? This this sort of thing can happen to American citizens. Um, and you know what? It has happened to American citizens, these bank issues. So even if you vehemently disagree with why these folks are here, and I don't know why you would, to be honest with you. America is a great country. Despite its horrible flaws sometimes, America is one of the best places in the world to live. These folks want to be here to start a new life and contribute to a society. So whether or not you agree with these folks being in America is irrelevant to the point. You would want help too if a bank did this to you, okay? If a bank did this to you, you would want assistance and then some. So look at it this way. If you want to bring people together, I always tell people, the easiest way to bring hundreds of people together is to talk about how bad banks are. Well, have this conversation with someone, even someone who you don't consider your neighbor, and I guarantee you, Mr. Carradine, Mr. Godwin, Mama J, and the whole lot from Houston, Texas, by way of Afghanistan will say, hey, you know what? Big banks fail us at times. And if you agree with that, then maybe we have some common ground that we can live a more peaceful, better existence together. I know that might be a little too deep for the Notorious Banker podcast, but you know what? I'm hopeful that this story does not happen again. But if it does, by God, I will be there to help people. I'll be right back with a future book announcement right after this, so please stick around. Hey everyone, it's James Baca, known professionally as the Notorious Banker, inviting you to buy my latest book, High Risk Transaction, The Ryan Coogler Bank of America Incident. It's available now on Amazon in Kindle and paperback format. This book discusses the January 7, 2022 incident at the Tony Buckhead District of Atlanta, Georgia's Bank of America branch. Ryan Coogler, acclaimed director of Black Panther and Creed, goes in to take $12,000 cash out to pay an employee of his. Why does one hour later he ends up in handcuffs, suspected of attempting to rob the very bank he stood in line for to get money out? High Risk Transaction discusses all the possible scenarios that could have happened the way that they happened in order for Ryan Coogler to be in the back of a police car. It was ridiculous when it happened and I want to kind of just break down what went wrong and why things like that should not happen inside a billion dollar bank. Know from a 13 year former manager of Bank of America like myself and commentator about why banks are getting worse and worse by the day that there was a lot more going on than meets the eye with this particular case so please go to kuglerbofabook.com it'll route you to the amazon link where you can buy high risk transaction the ryan kugler bank of america incident available on paperback and kindle format for as little as eight dollars and 99 cents and i promise you a healthy portion of the proceeds will go to help people in need 
as you know, the notorious banker is notorious, pun intended, for giving back to his community, whether it's through donations to food pantries or homeless shelters. The notorious banker realizes the scope of this incident and the fact that this book might be a little bit more successful than my previous ventures. So I promise you that a good chunk of proceeds will go to help people in need. So go to www.kuglerbofabook.com and purchase High Risk Transaction, the Ryan Kugler Bank of America incident, available on Amazon in Kindle and paperback format. And we could talk about what went on with this crazy story together. Thank you. Alright guys, I'm back with more Notorious Banker. I'm recording this on a Sunday too, which is weird. A very rare Sunday podcast. I don't normally do this. Um, But I wanted to talk about the story in Houston. But then I also wanted to talk about this, my book. Um, For the better part of three years, I've been talking about some books that I have written about Bank of America. I wrote one right after I got fired. I didn't like it. I didn't like the book that I wrote because... I think my emotions were getting the best of me. To get rejected like that from a job is like getting your heart broken. You know, it's 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 a hard pill to swallow. So when I wrote that book, it was just out of boredom and just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And it was very is vitriolic in the sense that I felt I felt cheated. I don't feel cheated anymore about losing my job because I think I was meant to do what I do. I, I really was. I really feel that this is my calling and I'm going to just try to um, do it as long as I possibly can. So when I wrote that book, I was like, yeah, I'm good. I, I can do better. And I've talked about what do I do? Do I talk about stories about why I went crazy at Bank of America? Do I talk about my, my vigilante customer service, customer service strategy of helping people fight back against B of A, Wells Fargo, and big banks as a notorious banker? I was like, yeah, that's actually good too. Do I talk about how I would fix things? Yeah, definitely. Well, how about all three? Instead of doing 330-page books, I really think a good, deep 400-page book that amplifies all three parts of James Baca also known as the Notorious Banker's existence, is really important. I think you really need to hear the the how I got here story. The reasons why, I, I hate talking about this now, we're, we're launching the National Suicide Hotline of 988 um, in a couple of weeks. But I'll be frank with you, I tried to take my life twice while working at Bank of America, and I was pretty close to attempting a third time. Um, because of actions that were done within Bank of America with the toxic work environment and the horrible bosses and everything. And I don't want to make this story about me. I really think that we need to talk about mental health. I really do think we need to talk about all the things that go on in the banking industry. Um, But the reason why I think I need to talk about it is because even when you leave the bank, they still find ways to mess with you. So I had a very interesting epiphany a few days ago. I don't want to get into too much detail here because i got to run by someone first. But let's just say that I have a friend. And that friend actually took a picture on Snapchat. And the first thing I thought was, oh my god, they betrayed me. Sounds weird, right? Well, without getting into too much detail, this person is one of them now. And this is a person who was a friend, a really good friend, a best friend. And the betrayal of of how they treated us and the fact that you go back there is telling for a lot of reasons. It, it's really upsetting for me as a friend of this person, now former friend. So I kind of opined on social media, not really directly calling this friend out. And this friend blocked me everywhere and did a a vulgarity-laced tirade on me. And this is a person who is not vulgar to me in the 11 years that I've known them. They have tried to sabotage the Notorious Banker Project, and I'm not going to have that. Um... I think there's a lot of people who I work with at Bank of America that I felt that I needed to protect for various reasons. I really feel that there's some people that I owe a debt of gratitude for. And I think a lot of that's going to be in the book. And I want to talk about that. 
of how conflicted I am that these people probably saved my life and saved my beacon in so many ways, but at the same time have continuously found ways to fuck with me, excuse my language, um, over the better course of 13 years of working there and the four years since. And seeing that evolution, seeing what happened um, with my relationships and friendships told me that it was never about the relationships. It was all about milking and maximizing what you can out of that person until you chew them up and spit them out, basically. And I felt that way throughout my career at Bank of America, and I feel that way all the more so now. But now it's a different thing. I'm going to be 40 years old. Um, I'm not at a place where friends are valuable to me um, because... What is a friend anyway? A friend, and I wrote another book personally, and it was about um, another friend who, kind of romantic, sort of, but not really. But when we finally ended our friendship, I said, you know how I know that I can't trust you anymore? Is if you saw my Jeep Liberty parked on the side of the road and smoking, and you see me walking on a 55 mile an hour highway going for some help. You wouldn't pull over to pick me up and give me a ride. And I know that the person that I told that to six years ago wouldn't do it. And the person that I feel has betrayed what the notorious banker has been doing wouldn't do that either. And these are people that I consider best friends. So... In the interest of full disclosure, I don't I don't care about their career goals. I don't care about family goals. I don't care about success. They try to harm my success. And the only way that I can do that is to amplify the stress that I've gone through for so many years. The stress that other customers have been put through. And I got receipts, my friend. I got a lot of receipts. Le- legit receipts. You know, that's kind of a slang word. I got receipts, and I need to talk to a friend about that as soon as possible. Um, because we're gonna do this. We're gonna discuss. Um, we're gonna discuss what went not, when what went down with the notorious banker's existence in banking in a way that a week ago I never thought I would tell. But I gotta write this book, and it's gonna be a long one. It may take me two months or so. I still want to do the student loan book. I still want to do my second part of unemployment. Those things are important to me. The Bank of America book is going to be the coup de grace, and hopefully it'll be done by the end of the year. Um, I bought a laptop, and I bought a desktop computer with my TikTok money. I'm so thankful um, to be successful on TikTok, to be able to make money telling stories. How awesome is that? I'm grateful to the people who contribute to my Patreon, patreon.com slash notoriousbanker or the notoriousbanker on Venmo. And dollar sign the notorious banker on Cash App. Anytime you contribute two dollars, three dollars, five dollars, that goes towards helping me better myself and helping me fight back for customers. All these little ways of making money, including getting my unemployment back, donating plasma, finding a dollar bill on the ground the other day, all of these things contribute to the betterment of myself, which allows me to be better at what I do, and that's fighting back against big banks. If I'm going to truly be what I'm going to be, a consumer advocate, a customer service strategist, one who fights for the customers, I should not have ulterior motives in having friends that work in the banking industry. As of right now, there are no friends of mine that work in the banking industry, only people who are seeking to impact the lives of 67 million customers at Bank of America, 30 million plus customers at Wells Fargo, and countless millions more at Chase and City, who don't realize a lot of the times they're getting burned. And they're smiling and liking it. I guess I should say before I go, I want to shout out to Chase Customer Service. Isn't that amazing? Chase Support on Twitter. I had an issue with the federal Juneteenth holiday. Uh, The ability to pay my credit card bill in a timely manner was impacted by them not coding the holiday right. So my payment was considered late. Got a late fee for the first time in years. And I was upset, but I wasn't going to be angry about it. I just talked to them like adults, and they fixed my late fee. And I was really grateful for that, and I'm thankful for that. So thank you, Chase, for that. But the millions of people who bank with these places, and they don't understand that the people in power are systematically, maybe they don't even know it, but they are systematically making these people poorer, 
they're making these people trust less and in some cases they're making them not have a bank anymore we gotta stop this my friends are the people my friends are not the people who work in the climate controlled offices have the bank approved gear on their desk who have a neutral scent in their office as to not offend anyone with um, allergic reactions to air freshener that was a thing before and the people who have that pleasant hey good morning welcome to the bank how can i help you today i never meant it that pleasantly in the 250,000 customers that i helped over 13 years but i was genuine to see them say hey there how can i help you that was genuine that put on voice was not me this is the real me and the real me fights back for the little guy the notorious banker is going to stop at nothing to continue to do that and through some legal proceedings that I'm currently going through that I cannot talk about, I will refrain from talking about that part, but I will tell you that the legal proceedings have a lot to do with the betterment of customer service uh, throughout the whole entire banking industry. And if we can write this book and if we continue to talk about it on the Notorious Banker podcast, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be kicking butt as much as I possibly can because that is what I love to do. And now I got two new computers thanks to my um, interesting TikToks. Guys, I want to wrap it up. Once again, thank you to Mama J. Thank you to David Godwin. Thank you to the ABC 13 staff for putting out this story. Um, thank you to all of you for listening to me. My name is James Baca, known professionally as the Notorious Banker. You can find me on Twitter at BankBetterGuy, at Notorious Banker on both Instagram and TikTok. 27,000 followers strong, 4 million views a month on TikTok. Guys, we are starting something here. We're starting empowerment for the consumer banking industry. And we're going to continue to do so. And I'm going to be here for the ride. So I'll be back in a few days with another podcast or as breaking news warrants. But until we meet again, my friends, my name is James Baca, again, known professionally as the Notorious Banker. You enjoy the rest of your weekend. Happy 4th of July if I don't talk to you before then. God bless America. And God bless those amazing people in Houston who got helped by um, Mr. Godwin and Mama J. I appreciate you all and you have a great day.